James shows us a faith that works. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. Faith that works, working our way through the book of James. We're going to talk about, this is a hard one. They've all been hard, haven't they, as we've been working through James? But this is particularly a hard one. Uh, we're talking about our words, our words, our talk, what we say. Some stats here. The average American has 30 conversations a day. Will spend one-fifth of their life talking. In uh, one year, their conversations will fill 66 books of 800 pages a book. If you're a man, you speak an average of 20,000 words a day. If you're a woman, you speak... <laughs> they haven't been able to calculate that number yet. Sorry. I, hey, listen. There are some of us guys can rival you ladies, okay, because you do. It, 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 it is statistically proven that you speak more words than us, but I think I've, I can uh, take you on, okay? And there's a few guys out there I know that can take you on too. You guys, any guys out there? Yeah, okay. We, uh, like this guy right here. I could point out a few. There's another one right over here. Oh, let's change the stats here. So men typically on average 20,000 words a day, women about 30 to 40,000 words a day. It's like the guy who asked, who was asked, do you resent that your wife has the last word? He replied, no, I'm just glad when she finally gets to it. <laughs> Nothing is opened more wrongly and at the wrong time than our mouths. It's like the stock boy at the grocery store, lady asked him, can I buy a half a head of lettuce? He walked back to the manager to ask, not realizing she was walking right behind him, and he said, you're not going to believe this. There's an old bag out there who wants to buy half a head of lettuce. He turned around and saw her standing there and said, and this fine lady would like to buy the other half. <laughs> so there you go. Take a look at your sermon notes here. The quality and content of your words tell you a lot about your spiritual condition, the health of your soul. The quality and content of your words, your words, your words are saying something about your spiritual condition and the health of your soul. Most of the hurt in our lives have come from have come from the words that we have spoken and the words that have been spoken to us. We live in a day and time of social media where words abound. And so James is going to teach us, and you can see this, you can see it on your notes there, the seriousness of our words, that's verses one and two of our text. The strength or the power of our words, that's verses three through eight and then the sanctifying or the healing of our words, that's verses nine through 12. That's where we're headed. But before we read our text and unpack these notes, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So Father God, we are delighted to be here today. We love your presence. We love your presence and enjoy ascribing ultimate worth and value to you in song and now in the study of your word. And so we pray Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search us, O God and know our hearts, try us, 
and know our thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in us, any sinful ways in us, and lead us in the way everlasting. Teach us the seriousness, the strength, and the sanctifying of our words. In our Savior, Jesus' glorious and beautiful name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let me read through the text here, and uh, then we'll come back through and dissect it. So thus far, as we've been working our way through uh, James, first chapter we talked about trials and then temptation and then the importance of not just being a hearer of the word but being a doer. We talked about scripture. Chapter two, we talked about mercy, partiality, favoritism. And then last weekend, we talked about faith. Faith without works is what? It's dead, absolutely. And now we go to our words, taming our tongue. And so we begin reading chapter three, verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a, a, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So we've looked at that verses one and two is the seriousness of, of our words, and then we look now from verse three to eight, we saw that, the strength of our words, and now we're looking at the sanctifying of our words. He helps us to understand how we can have healing to our words. And he says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Using a little logic here, rationale. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so let's work through the notes here. Grab your notes. You can follow along. And so the seriousness of our words, verses one and two. Here's your first fill in the blank. We will be judged for our words. We will be judged for our words. It's interesting, we just talked about our works and now our words, but our words are part of our works. And so it's putting on display our faith or lack thereof. Look at verse one, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Notice what he says, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We will all be judged 
but those who teach, those who lead others, will be judged with greater strictness. This is what it says in Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Now, immediately, maybe some of you are saying, hey, wait, 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 I thought Jesus took our judgment for us. Yes, he did, but not this judgment. He's talking about a different judgment. Jesus took our, our judgment of whether or not we will go to heaven to be with, with him for all eternity. So there's actually another judgment that he's talking about here, and this is how it works. Our beliefs, our acceptance or rejection of Jesus Christ determines our eternal destination, whether it's in heaven or hell, but our behavior determines our eternal compensation, reward or punishment in heaven or hell. So Jesus took the first judgment, that is our eternal destination, but, but we will be held accountable for what we do with what God has given to us. It's called actually the Bema Seat. In fact, I've got a verse here for you. It's 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Listen to what Paul says. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, the foundation he's talking about is, is Christ. This is, he's talking to believers here, those that are, are knowing that they're going to heaven, but now when we get to heaven, we will be judged. He's talking about in, and having our lives judged, our behavior judged. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has done on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If, if anyone, anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. That's the, that's the judgment Jesus took for us. So he's going to suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. It's fascinating words. I would encourage you to study that on your own later. So it's kind of like uh, my kids and, and even my grandkids. Uh, there's no question about, uh, you know, my kids being mine and, and they have a place in my home growing up. That was never in question. My love for them was never in question. Their place in my home was never in question. What was in question was their behavior, what they did with what mom and dad gave them. And typically, the older you were, the more responsibility you had, and you were held to a higher degree of responsibility because of that. So keep in mind, what he's talking about here is that as, as believers, we will be judged. Our works will be put to the test of fire, as it tells us there in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Here's the next point in your notes. To whom much is given, much is required, is what he's saying. That's the point. That's a principle. And so teachers who have been given more have greater responsibility. And not just teachers, but anyone who's been given more has greater responsibility. So Luke 12, 48 makes that very clear. To whom much is given, much is required. Let me read to you a quote from C.S. Lewis. And this is what he says. In, in, this is from Mere Christianity. Lewis argues that the reason God tells us not to judge is that we do not know the raw material that other people are struggling with. The world expects all Christians to act equally happy and outgoing, but the fact is that it may be a greater victory for Christian A, who has been strapped with a weight of inner demons and psychological complexes to smile 
than for Christian B, who has been blessed from birth with a loving family, a healthy body, and sound finances to donate $5,000 to charity. Do you hear what he's saying there? So our tendency is to be quick about judging people and about where they are and how much they have progressed in the Christian life. But the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. So the more blessed you are, the more humble you should be because you realize how little you deserve and how much you have received from God. You should be humbled by that. But also, when you encounter people who are not as together as you are in their beliefs and behavior, you should not be judgmental. You should not be judgmental and should be very understanding and compassionate because they may be doing far better with what they have been given than what they have been given than what you are. They, they may be pleasing to God and, they, and you're watching, you're going, oh my goodness, they're struggling, they're falling all over the place. But they may be pleasing, more pleasing to God with, with how they're responding to what they have been giving and how they're working through that, where they started from. And so that's why we have to be extremely careful about that, and to whom much is given, much is required, and all that we have has been given by God. First uh, Corinthians 4, 7, I don't know if I put this on your notes, but you can write it down. First Corinthians 4, 7 says, for who sees anything different in you? So if you're different from anyone else, maybe you've been more blessed, too much is given, much is required. So for who sees anything different in you, and what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't? So all that we have, those blessings have, have been given to us by God. And so to whom much is given, much is required. Here's the next point in your notes. Control your words and you can control your whole life. That's the next point. So we're talking about here the seriousness of our words. We will be judged for our words. Our words are part of our works. So faith without works is dead. So it's re really revealing our works. To whom much is given, much is required and then control your words and you will control your whole life. That's what he's saying in verse two, for we all stumble in many ways. I like that, I like that verse. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Now why would he say that? It's because this. It's because our word problems are heart problems. Our word problems are heart problems. Anytime you have a problem with what you're saying, it really goes deep into your heart. We're gonna see that as we work through these notes and through this text. But it's because our word problems are heart problems. To manage your word problems, you must manage your heart the control center. Your heart is the control center of your entire self. It's your core convictions, commitments, deepest loves, highest hopes that control your thoughts, emotions, and will. So he's just saying, hey, if you can control your tongue, you can control everything in your life because ultimately your tongue problems, your, your word problems, or heart problems. To manage your heart is to manage your whole life. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's look at the strength of our words, verses three through eight. The strength of our words or the power of our words. My words can powerfully direct my life and others. And so he's gonna help us here. I mean, we, I, we all would like to have more self-control in our lives, and he's telling us that the, uh, the test, really, uh, to look at our, what comes out of our mouth is telling us a lot about what's going on in our heart. And if we go down into our heart and begin to deal with our heart, it's going to help us in every other area of our life. And uh, 
So my words can powerfully direct my life and others. Look at verses three and four. Basically, he's talking about a bridle in a horse's mouth and a rudder to a ship. Now, in James's day, a horse and a ship were the most powerful force to be harnessed and to get something done. And so uh, his rationale here is that you would not expect something so big and powerful as a horse or a ship to be guided and controlled by something so seemingly small and insignificant as a bit or a rudder. And, and so he's using that as, a, as an analogy that our tongue can bring direction not only to our lives, but to the lives of others. Let me illustrate that here for you just from God's word. Uh, let's talk about our lives, first of all, the impact that our tongue has on our lives. Proverbs 23, 7, this is from the King James Version, also the New American Standard. The ESV doesn't read like this, but in the footnote, you'll see that it's, this is what it's talking about here. And maybe you're familiar with this. I learned this verse early on. It was really helpful for me. As a person thinks within himself... Anybody know how the rest of that goes? So is he. Okay, you guys know that. You guys know that verse. So is he. As a person thinks within himself, so is he. So is he. As a person thinks within himself, so is he. That's how you're going to live out your life. We speak with our mouth about 150 to 200 words per minute. Some of us swear up and down that I speak more than that, okay? And people have said, hey, would you slow down a little bit so that I can follow you? Anybody feel that way? Anybody? Be careful. What? <laughs> Some of you back there. Okay, you guys, we need to start a little small group with you guys, okay? Okay, so 150 to 200 words per minute. Now, what's interesting is that we carry on an inner dialogue with ourselves at about, how many, how many words a minute do you think do we carry on this inner dialogue with ourselves? Anybody try to guess? What do you guys think? A thousand? Yeah, 1,300 is what they've, I don't know who did the counting, but that's what they said, okay. So 1,300. So we carry on an inner dialogue with ourselves at about 1,300 words per minute. So that's why I talk so fast, because you guys are already talking to yourself so fast, I'm trying to keep up with you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a word in edgewise, because you guys are going, so I'm trying to, so I'm trying to keep up with you. No, okay, that's not why, but anyway. I just thought I would throw that in there. So here's what you need to keep in mind. So if you have this inner dialogue going on, even right now, right now, even right now as I'm talking to you, there's this inner dialogue going on, 1,300 words a minute. Here's what you need to keep in mind. Who you are can be no better and no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head. Who you are who you are is no better or no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head, that inner dialogue. What are you saying to yourself? How are you processing life? How are you evaluating the events of life? Because you guys know this. It's not the events of life that make you feel and behave the way you feel and behave. It's your evaluation of those events. It's what you're saying to yourself in that inner dialogue. That's really, really important. 1,300 words, boom, just what are, what are you saying? What are you talking to yourself about? Who you are can be no better and no worse than the thoughts, the words, the self-talk you entertain in your head. Now, what's interesting about this is that every one of us has certain habits and patterns of thought, of self-talk. And these are these things that have been kind of 
Uh, it's like that automatic pilot, these pathways in our brain. They've done a lot of research on that, and we, we develop these habits of thought and these pathways in our, in our brain. And so everyone has certain habits and, uh, and patterns of, of thought and self-talk. Let's just, for instance, let's just say that you walked into church this morning and someone looked at you and said, gee, you look terrific. Now, immediately, those 1,300 words are kind of rolling through your mind. They might sound something like this. So, gee, you look terrific. An optimistic person might say, hey, what a, what a friendly guy. A narcissistic person would be saying something like this to themselves. I was thinking the same thing. Tell me more. You fascinate me. Okay. A pessimist might say something like this. The lighting in here must be really bad. I look terrific. Oh, I feel bad. And then the cynic would say something like this. This person must be trying to sell me something or recruit me for something. See, those are just the patterns of thought. Immediately, we just, immediately, when someone says something to us, immediately we go into some certain pattern of thought. Boom, in one direction or another. So let me ask you this question. This isn't a hard question. You can answer out loud. What kind of thoughts are happy people thinking? Happy, happy thoughts. <laughs> yes, you got it. That was easy. What kind of thoughts are sad people thinking? Sad, sad thoughts. What kind of thoughts are angry people thinking? Angry thoughts. You guys are scoring big on that one. But for some reason, though, we kind of think other than that. We just think, man, you know, it's just, uh, it was interesting. My, my mom, she's, uh, she was sitting right back over here. She probably left. She left the church. Where is she? She's sitting right there. She's hiding. My, my mom used to say this all the time. I, I'm sorry, mom. I have to share this. But... Uh, she would say something like this, the more I think about that, the matter I get. Because were, you know, she, get ripped, she got ripped off at a store or somebody did her wrong. And she goes, the more I think about that, the matter I get. And I would always think, well, stop thinking about it, Mom. <laughs> it's just like, it's just constantly, it was in her head. It was in her head. She was just like, and the more you think about it, the more I, the matter she got. And the more the matter we get. And what kind of... Thoughts are depressed people thinking. They're thinking depressing thoughts. That's why it tells us in Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. It tells us what we should be thinking about. It actually, the Bible says, here's the agenda, here's what you should be thinking in your life. And by the way, that's in the context of don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Oh, and by the way, finally, brothers, he says, he says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. You want to keep from being stressed out about life? Take your problems to God, and when you've done that, the peace of God will will guard your heart and mind, and oh, by the way, you need to guard your thoughts. You need to have habits of thought that, that are in these categories. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. This is what he's saying. It also tells us in 2 Corinthians 10.5, kind of gives us this little bit of warfare going on within our own hearts and our lives. And he says that we are to take captive every thought. Anybody know how the rest of that is? And take it, yes, yes, take captive every thought and bring it into the obedience of Jesus Christ. The idea there is almost chasing your thoughts down. I mean, 1,300 words a minute. You got to do some chasing there, huh? 
Don't you think so? You got to chase those words down, chase those thoughts down, say, wait a minute, what the heck? Why am I thinking that? That's not true. This is who I am in Jesus. This is who God is. This is what he's done for me. This is who I am in light of what he's done for me. This should make all the difference in the world in how I'm responding to the circumstances of my life. And so you're beginning to take those thoughts captive, bring them into the obedience of, of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 18.21. Now let's talk about how our words can bring direction to other people. So we talked about how our words can bring direction to our life. But what about to other people? Proverbs 18.21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Does that sound interesting? Why would he say death and life are in the power of the tongue? And then he says, those who love it will eat its fruits. I think he's telling us that when we speak words of life, they can be very nurturing and nourishing to us. But death and life are in the power of the tongue. So think about this. Think about this. Everybody look up here. This is what you got to understand. That in your relationships, on the job, in your neighborhood, in the people, with the people you interact with, you can bring into that relationship either death or life, this is what he's saying, by how you respond, what you say, how you interact with people. You can bring death or life. You can bring despair or hope. You can bring hatred or love. You can bring confusion or harmony. You can bring anxiety or peace by the words you speak. You can give direction to people. You can speak into their life the truth of God and who Christ is and what he's done for us. And that's, that's important. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Here's the next point on your notes. My words can powerfully destroy my life and others. So my words can powerfully direct my life and others, but he's kind of staying on a very negative note here because he's really wanting us to see uh, not just the seriousness of our words, but also um, he, he wants us to see really the strength of our words, the power of our words and so my words can powerfully destroy my life and others. Look what he says here in verses five through six. Let me reread it. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. A careless camper can destroy an entire national forest overnight. We've seen that time and time again. I mean, the wildland fires in not just in Arizona, in California, in Oregon, in Nevada. So he's, he's giving us really a great analogy for this idea of the words that we speak. Our words, slander, gossip, criticism, scorn can spread like a fire destroying people's lives. You think those wildland fires are bad because it destroys people's homes and people's lives physically? He's saying it's even worse. This is even worse. And let me just say, America is on fire with our words. It's out of control. It's out of control. The scorn is unbelievable. I, I, a number of years ago, I turned off late night talk because it was so scornful. 
It's so filled with scorn. Much of the news is filled with scorn. And uh, let me just say uh, something about that, the scorn, is that it tells us in Psalm 1, 1, it says, blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of the sinner or sit in the seat of the scornful. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Don't listen to the scornful. It's all around us. We're swimming in it. And by the way, that's very serpent-like because you go to Genesis chapter 3 and how did he intimidate Adam and Eve, it was with scorn. It wasn't with defensible arguments. It was dogmatic assertions, and it was scorn. Did God really say? He didn't say that. That's the dumbest thing in the world. You can't trust God. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. That's crazy. That's insane. It's all scorn. Dogmatic assertions, no defensible arguments. It has that attitude that's very demeaning and disdaining. And that's our culture that we live in. And it's very, very destructive. Proverbs 12, 18, it says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So this is our choice. We can have reckless words that pierce people's soul, or we can have words of healing, wise words that bring healing. Your self-image is a compilation of all the words you have spoken to yourself and all the words that people have spoken to you and about you. Words spoken to us both positively and negatively even decades ago still impact and affect our lives even to this day. I mean, there's things that I look back when I was in the fifth and sixth grade. I remember a teacher saying some of the most horrible things to me and, and a, a few others that were in that class. They pierced like a sword. It troubled me for many years until I began to work through that as a young man. And there were other words that were spoken to me by coaches and people that were in my life that were in, very influential and yet spoke hard words, difficult words that, that they shouldn't have spoken. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Here's what's interesting about that, that some of you have experienced that growing up and, and those words from a parent even continue to echo in your heart, your head and heart even to this day, and they continue to harass you and hassle you. And, and my heart is broken for you because they, they shape who you are and your, your self-image. And, and you need to know that a lie believed to be true will affect your life as if it were true. And, and the old kid's rhyme that says, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me, that's not true. They devastate us. They devastate us. That's the reason why we have to be careful and one of the verses that I memorized years ago was Ephesians 4.29, because I needed it uh, for my own life. But it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs so that it might benefit those that hear. The word for unwholesome, do not let any unwholesome talk. The word unwholesome talk literally means rotten or putrefied. Kind of like when I was at the fire station and they'd leave food in the refrigerator a little bit too long. And uh, A-shifters would come in and eat it anyway, okay? Well, they know that's not true. They just scrape the green stuff off and just go, ah, that's sick, huh? That's, how many have ever kept stuff in the refrigerator a little bit too long? You looked at it and go, oh, my wife tries to feed me that stuff. No, really, I think she's trying to kill me. We're trying to cut back on expenses here. Go ahead and eat this. It doesn't look right. It doesn't matter. Just go ahead. 
No, she doesn't do that. But that's what he's talking about there. Do not let any unwholesome talk, rotten, putrefied words come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs. What are their needs? Here's a good way. I was thinking about this this last week. I, I forget where I learned this from, but think before you speak. The word think is an acronym, and it means is it true? Is it helpful? Is it healing? That's the H. The I is, is it inspiring? Is it needful? Is it kind? Think before you speak. Think before you speak. Harsh, ugly, uh, unloving, condemning, selfish, prideful words can crush the faith of another person, destroy their hope, damage their identity, leave a wake of destruction in the lives of people all around us with our words. We can bring destruction to our lives and to the lives of others. We're seeing that happen right here. I mean, I'm so tired of the attack ads. It's like, what if these people grow up at some point? It's just amazing how they, do. they don't talk about really anything of substance and content about what they stand for, but they just attack each other. And James is talking about that. He says, that's crazy. That's revealing your heart. Our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are evil. We're seeing it all on display all around us. Isn't that crazy? So here's the next one. My words powerfully display who I am. So we're talking about the power, the strength of our words, and so they can direct our lives and others. They can destroy our lives and others. But then my words powerfully display who I am, who I am. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, we can tame every kind of beast, but we can't tame our tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So it's just saying, hey, this, your tongue is revealing what's deep in your heart. Matthew 12, 34, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 4, 23, it says, above all else, guard your heart. Why? For it is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 25, it says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So, so a, lot, a lot of times we don't even know what's deep in our heart, but not until we get into maybe a small group. We do life groups here in Desert Breeze or, or we go to a counselor. That's why good life groups and good counselors will ask you a lot of questions and get you to talking. And before long, as you're talking, you go, wait a minute, I didn't realize I believed that. What did I just say? Yeah, that's what you said. That's, oh my goodness, I didn't realize it was down deep in my heart. Yeah, it's there. You just didn't see it. You've got it all covered up with pretense and, and all kinds of other things. But it's when we get together and we start talking over time, you're able to draw. You need to have some friends that will draw that out of you. Those things that are deep within your heart. Proverbs 25, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So take a look at this. This is on your notes. So I walked through this. Let me walk through this with you. So people with harsh words have what kind of a heart? Angry heart. So when you hear those harsh words out there, do we hear a lot of harsh words in our culture today? Yeah. So when you hear harsh words coming from your heart, you know, that when you're driving and and the best word you can come up with is idiot, you know, something like that, those idiots, it's revealing your angry heart. How about negative words? Negative words have a fearful heart. Oh, we can't do that. They can't do that. God's not going to come through for me. Negative words have a fearful heart. Overactive words have an unsettled heart. Unsettled heart. 
So someone that wants to come in and, and they dominate the conversation, you're meeting them for coffee, and you can't get a word in edgewise. You know, you know who I'm talking about? Don't point them out. <laughs> don't, don't look at me like that. Because that's a little bit how I can be. There's no doubt about it. But typically that person is just trying to control what you think about them. And that's why it's, it's an unsettled it's, it's very much an unsettled heart. Overactive words have an unsettled heart. It's okay to have some times of silence when you're hanging out with your friends. You don't have to fill it up with, with talk all the time. And, and that just shows that there's an unsettled heart. Boasting words have an insecure heart. Hey, did I ever tell you about the time when I was, uh, it was really, I did really great. You know, when you get around people that want to boast and talk about themselves, uh, it was interesting that when, when last weekend, when uh, some of you probably don't know this, but uh, I, I, I didn't show up for church on Saturday night because I was stranded in um, Castle Rock Hot Springs, and, um, and the guy that was the caretaker up there showed us around because we didn't have anything better to do because we were stranded because of all that rain up there. But it was really fascinating uh, listening to him because he talked a lot about himself, didn't he? You guys remember that? Really doing a lot of bragging about how great, really, he was kind of bragging a little bit. He didn't realize it probably, but he was just bragging. He had some really interesting stories. He was a really great storyteller. But he was doing that. He was telling a lot about himself, bragging about himself, you know, what a great guy he is. And that's typically, boasting words have a very insecure heart. Filthy words have an impure heart. You know, the little innuendos and little jokes that people say that's just showing their heart, their impure heart. Critical words have a bitter heart. People that are always critical, cynical, sarcastic. On the other hand, people with encouraging and positive words have a happy heart, gentle and respectful words. People with gentle and respectful words have a loving heart, humble. People with a humble and confident words have a gospel-saturated heart, a gospel-saturated heart. So here's the point, is that if you can start listening to yourself, it's going to tell you a lot about the condition of your heart, and then God can begin to come along and begin to transform your heart. Word problems are heart problems. Word problems are heart problems. Heart problems are the war between two kingdoms, Two kingdoms are warring. The kingdom of my claustrophobic self that seeks my glory, my wants, my desires, or the kingdom of God that lives for his glory, lavished by his love, empowered by his Holy Spirit. And so it's one or the other. And all you got to do is listen to what you're saying, and you're in one kingdom or the other, or you're promoting one kingdom or the other kingdom. And it's important to keep that in mind. I was uh, at Starbucks here um, this last week was at 43rd Avenue and Thunderbird, and, and I was waiting in line, kind of a little bit of a long line, and the guy that was at the front of the line, I realized that the guy at the front of the line was hogging all the time because he was filming himself as he was, as he was slandering and ranting and raving on the workers back behind the, the counter there and getting onto them for them not hiring him. Nobody ever called me back. He's filming all this, and he's going, nobody ever called me back, and you guys are a bunch of losers back there, and you guys don't know what you're doing. You don't even run a good place here. And, and it's like, hey, dude, I'm just trying to get my coffee. Would you get on with whatever you're doing? And I didn't say that, but I was thinking that. And, uh, and anyway, finally, uh, the, the kind of the supervisor came up and said, dude, get, get out of here. 
get going. And so he finally left, and I got up to the counter and said, aren't you glad you didn't hire him? <laughs> he had been really bad to hire. But what was, it? what was that about? It was all about his kingdom. It was all about me, how much you've hurt me. And it's all about me and, and my desires and my wants and my glory. And wait a minute. That's claustrophobic world that you're living in. Man, live for his glory, his goodness, his love. Make it about him, and that's how do we do that? Well, that's through the sanctifying or the healing of our words, verses 9 through 12. And so we've got to, first of all, confess and repent of our dual allegiances, our competing gods for the domination, for the, for the control over our heart. Confess and repent of your dual allegiances, competing gods. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Now, I want you to take a tongue test here, okay? And it's on your notes there. It's part of your growing notes. And take the tongue test for one week. Write these six things down and keep it with you. You can see them on your growing notes. You can just take your growing notes with you. But do not complain or grumble. Do not boast about anything at all. Do not gossip or repeat bad information about somebody else. Do not run somebody down even a little bit. Do not defend or excuse yourself no matter what. Do always affirm other people. And the point of the test is until you come to grips with how hard it is, you don't realize what's really going on in your heart. Now, there's a couple of different ways of, of looking at it. The couple that put this together was a couple that was wanting people to realize that though you may be a Christian, you claim to be a Christian, you're not as, you don't believe the gospel as much as you say you do, and your words betray you. They reveal that the gospel isn't down deep into your heart like it should be. You're not as secure in Christ Jesus and all that he's done for you. And that's the reason why they, uh, they put that together. Just say, hey, well, listen to your words. Listen to how you're responding to people and how you're talking to people and what you say about people and all those things. And so I, I used this, but I used the ABCs to help me to remember that. I didn't carry it around with me. So I said, A means I'll always affirm, always affirm. B means I'm not going to boast, never boast. Uh, C means I'm not going to complain. Don't ever complain. A, B, C, D. I, never disdain. Be disdaining about anyone. A, B, C, D, E. Don't make excuses. Excuses, does that make sense? Don't, make, don't, don't excuse yourself. Excuse, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Is that not right? Is that not good English? Okay. Okay, excuse. Yeah, don't defend or excuse yourself. That's the E, E, excuse. That's right, okay. And then E, F, oh, I, may, I, I came up with an extra one, always forgive as you have been forgiven. And then G is don't gossip. Here's another maybe easier way for you uh, to remember all of that is that he says it in verse 5, boasting in verse 9, cursing. We tend to find ourselves boasting and cursing. We tend to try to elevate ourselves, or we're always pushing other people down with our words because we're really insecure. We're conceited. The word conceit means vain glory. We're empty of the glory of God. We're desperate to fill the void that only he can fill. And therefore, that's why we boast to elevate ourselves or we push other people down and we talk bad about other people because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Only for a, for a time. And so, if you can go without boasting or cursing more than a couple hours, then you're a better person than I. And even if you do go for a couple hours, remember, you can't boast about it. Okay? 
So harsh, negative, overactive, boasting, filthy, critical words are evidence of dual allegiances. Something more important to you than God is being threatened, blocked, or lost. You may say God really matters to me and his opinion of me matters most, and yet when someone criticizes you, you respond with defensiveness, harshness, and cruelty rather than openness, honesty, and in humility, receiving the criticism and weighing it. So really, how you respond to criticism and then how you give, speak words. Do you speak those words in love? Do you tend to pull your shots? Do you tend to not, your punches, I should say, pull your punches you tend to not speak those hard words because you're more fearful of what they're going to say about you than what God says about you. And so we can see it both in the hard words, our, our inability to hear the hard words or speak the hard words. And here's, here's the cure to that. Fill your heart with a joyful preoccupation with who God is and what he has done for you. This is my favorite right here. I love doing this. Fill your heart with a joyful preoccupation with who God is and what he has done for you. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Let me walk you through this. We're almost finished up and then we're gonna take communion, but, but you need to track with this point here is that what ought not to be so? Blessing God and cursing people. Why? Because they are utterly incompatible. What he's saying is that we can do both, but we can never do them both at once. They are antithetical to each other. Therefore, it's the praising of God as our Father. It's the recognition of what he did for us in Christ Jesus and the praise of that and the rejoicing in that, which is the opposite of cursing of other human beings. You notice he doesn't say the cure to cursing is blessing people. The cure to cursing people is blessing people. He doesn't say that. Otherwise, it would be kind of more of a self-help kind of talk. Here, okay, don't say negative things to people. What you need to do is say positive things. Well, here's some positive words you need to start speaking to people. He doesn't do that. He says, no, your problem is that you need to be preoccupied. Your heart needs to be filled up with the beauty and the glory of who Christ is and what he's done for you. And that will transform your heart and therefore transform your words that are coming out. Otherwise, it's just behavior modification if he would have said it the other way. But he says it like that. He says, and so therefore, fill your heart with a joyful preoccupation with who God is and what he's done for you. It tells us in Matthew 12, 34, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So you're storing every day. What are you storing? And this is what I want to store. This is what I want to come from my mouth, from my words, from my lips. Psalm 34, 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. Praise is the joyful preoccupation with God, with who God is and what he's done for us. It is, it is intellectual and emotional health made audible. And let me, let me just say this, that if you just spent your day reflecting, thinking, reveling on all that he has done for you. <laughs> oh my goodness. That will fill up your heart and change what's coming out of your mouth towards others. I am forgiven of all my sins. I'm reconciled to God. I'm adopted into his family. I'm lavished with his love. I'm empowered by his Holy Spirit. I'm guaranteed a place in heaven all through grace by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. That should fill our hearts and minds and it'll change, it will change our, our words. And, and, and this is what will happen right here, last point. 
Last point. Nothing will heal and overturn the earthly verdicts, the earthly verdicts or what you say to yourself, what others have said to you or about you. So nothing will heal and overturn the earthly verdicts like the words from your heavenly Father ringing in your soul. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So when you fill your heart up with the beauty and the glory of the gospel, this is what should be ringing in your soul. And, and by the way, it's going to change your words. It can't help but change your words. Nothing will heal and overturn the earthly verdicts like the words from your heavenly Father ringing in your soul. You are my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. And the logic that he brings here in verses 11 through 12, he says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? He talks about a fig tree. Uh, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The point is, your words can't help but be the logical production of the content of your heart. Let's pray and prepare our hearts for communion this morning. So, Father God, because Jesus prayed these words that are represented really through these communion elements here this morning, both the, the bread and the grape juice, he prayed these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he prayed those words, we can cry with confidence, Abba, Father, my Daddy, and hear these words ringing in our soul, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus' righteousness is attributed to our accounts, and we have perfect and secure access as obedient children to you, our Father, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin, that is Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And nothing will transform our hearts more and therefore our words than to live in the reality of this. Make it real to our hearts through communion, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We've got three stations here. We've got a station in the overflow. Make your way forward. Grab both of the cups. They're double cupped. Take them back to your seat. And then I will walk us through the process.